Hey, how we doing, everybody? There we go. All right. Look, look at the magic. Hey, welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. That was intentional. Just make sure that your volume and your TV was working. So now that I'm like full blast, you can turn it back down. So glad that you guys are here with us. My name is Chris Plegenpaul. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church. So glad that you are joining us. Now, uh, one of the things we like to do other than just challenge your volume settings on your uh, uh, device is we love questions. So if you have a question about anything that we're doing here, uh, especially if you want to figure out how to do the best things in tech, you can ask us. But theologically, uh, culture-wise, we love to answer your questions. So text the number on the screen, and we would love to get with you on that. Now, we're in a series called Back to School. And um, we've looked at so many different identities that Christ calls us to be in Him. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we looked at what it was to be a servant. Then we looked at be, what it was to be a member of the body. Then we looked, you learned a brand new word of regenerate, someone who confesses and repents of sin. And then uh, last week, we looked at it was to be a steward. And this week, we're going to look at is what it is to be a worshiper. Now, um, this week I had a lot of props for what it was to be a worshiper and my admin Joni, she was all over the city finding great props and doing a great job of constructing things and I was like so grateful. And then um, as the Lord sometimes does, we took a severe left turn. So I'm sorry, Joni, right off the bat, we're not using any of your props. So great work. And sorry on the front end. Uh, it was not all for naught. I found out what I didn't want to do. That was a win, right? So um, so here's what I wanted to do. I want to kind of pull back. Because what my original thought was, I wanted to go over what it was to worship with your head, with, with your heart, with your hands. And although that's still true, um, I wanted to pull it back from just a step back of what is it to be a worshiper? Because when I think about worshiper, uh, the first image that comes to my head, being a kid in the 80s. Do I, do I, where are my other kids in the 80s? If you can just put that in the chat comment. And when I say uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, do you guys uh, remember uh, the scene underneath the palace in India where uh, Indy and uh, they all go and they start washing, they start watching the worshipers like chanting to the goddess Kali and they're going for it. And it's just sort of this blind, uh, un, this delusional devotion to a cultic thing. And I was just like, that's what I think that most people think about when they think about worship. They're just like that thought, that like uh, unblind devotion uh, to something that isn't real. And I, I can, you know, empathize with you because there's probably a time in my life when I thought that's what Christians were like. And then on the flip side, the flip side, um, there is this sort of view of worship that comes with like teen idol worship. All right, maybe it's a boy band or maybe in my instance, for my teenage years, um, and I talk about this a lot, my, my obsession with Michael Jordan. And I I knew everything there was to know about Michael Jordan in my head. And I believed in Michael Jordan with my whole heart. In fact, I had the Come Fly With Me video that was even out before he had won championships. And I would get chills. I, tears would run down my eyes. I watched him break his foot in his second year in the NBA and then come back to be the scoring champion. We always knew he would be. I love you, Michael. And then there was this thing in my head and my heart. I just was fully into him. In fact, um, there was a song. That went to something like this. <clears throat> Maestro. Sometimes I dream 
that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. Boom, 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 boom. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I want to be, want to be, want to be like. Okay, so that was like the mantra of my, I mean, like, listen, I'm at 43 now, and I sang that when I was 13, okay? So what's, what happened in me that there was something I believed that I could be Michael Jordan. And in fact, there was just one thing holding me back. I was roughly, you know, 5'9 on a good day, 150 pounds soaking wet, and I was white. And so there was minor problems all over the pro- fact. But I really believe that at some point, if I believed enough, I could be like Mike. In fact, there was this quote from Larry Bird that gave me hope. All right, So Larry Bird was a white guy, superstar NBA player, and he, the only thing different about him and me is he was 6'9, I think. Anyway, um, so... There's this quote uh, that he said that just kind of inspired me. It was, you know, there's some, you know, I, if people ask me if I practice a lot. Yeah, I practice a lot. In my head, there was all, I was always wondering if there's somebody somewhere practicing more than me. And so in my heart, I'm going to practice more than anybody because I'm going to be like Mike. Okay. And that's really sweet, right? I had my head, my heart, my hands all devoted to being like Michael. And the reality was, I was worshiping. I just wasn't worshiping the God of creation. And uh, I think we resist worshiping God, really, let's just base on those two reasons, because we respond to our culture's initiative. Maybe we don't live in the temple of doom and we're blindly falling, but we live in the temple of tolerance, right? Where everything you say and do must be through the filter of, does this offend somebody? And if it offends someone, you're not allowed to say it, you're not allowed to do it, you're not even to get near it. And I think that's kind of the world that we, that we sort of leaned into, where tolerance has become the culturalistic blindly follow God, all right? So some people are like, I don't know if you can say that. But it's true, right? I think that everyone knows that. Once you sort of pull out, I've been offended card, everyone stops. Everyone, like, we kind of have a moment of, we have to have sensitivity training over whatever it is that you were offended by, okay? Which is fine. That's our, that's our culture. And then second, and then second, um, we have this thing of pride that it goes in, which also sort of leads into this world of tolerance because if I've ever been offended because my pride and someone didn't recognize that they uh, were an accessory to my story and my pride is at the utmost of importance, it can be shattered in a moment when I get offended. And so therefore we lifted up tolerance. So nobody would ever offend me because we live in a world that that's imposes. I want to do when I want to do it. However I want to do it with whomever I want to do it. And then we throw this little caveat on it to make it very moral. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And I don't even know what that means. Because people get hurt all the time. And maybe it means as long as I don't lay a hand on somebody. But people can be verbally abused all the time. And maybe it means as long as I don't say anything derogatory. And then all of a sudden, then it goes on the back. If you don't discipline your children in the sense of save them from putting their hand on the stove then that's not love. So where, what does it mean? What does it mean? I think we get confused because our pride is butted up against a culture that says, do whatever you want, whatever you want, with whomever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And we never define what that really means. So this morning, I want to get into what it is to be a worshiper of God. And, and I really want our, our hearts to be focused on uh, who Jesus has called us to be in his identity. And then from that identity, 
Walk it out. Now, all right, I want to go to Joshua uh, chapter uh, 24. Joshua 24. So if you've got your device or you've got your Bible, that's where we're going to go. And I want you to um, allow your heart to be open and exposed to God's word as we read it and as we sink into who he is. Let's pray real quick. God, I just thank you that you are the God of all creation and you're complete control. And God, I pray that you would open up uh, God's word for us. And into a culture that gets so sensitive, into a culture so stuck, that kind of lifting up our own pride, that if anything offends, I can shut down anything I want because I'm in control and in charge. And so God, I pray that we'd be able to love one another that we would seek you and our hearts would grow because you are the king. Jesus, I love you. I need you. Would you put me on the other side of the screen that I might be able to hear from you myself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, we're going to read Joshua chapter uh, 24. We're going to look at verse 14. So let me read this to you. We're going to look at verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read it straight through and then... Uh, we are going to talk about. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, so here's where we're going with this. I, I, I love that passage of Scripture. And I, I want us to really kind of break it down because we're going to, line by line, you're going to kind of really see the heart here uh, that Joshua, as he had gathered all of Israel together, all right, he gathers all Israel together just, before, just after they defeated Jericho, defeated so many others. They have now sort of taken all the major strongholds of Israel. Now they're sending out the tribes to go take up their inheritance. And he kind of gives them a backstory of um, how God served them, did unbelievable miracles. And now it was time for them to live out their destiny as God's chosen people in God's chosen land. And they should enjoy it to worship him. And so then he, he gives them that sort of um, send-off. And they're all gathered. They're all listening to it. But I want to break down what he says to them. Look at this. He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. Now, this word serve, um, this is a good word. The problem with serve, and I like it because it has sort of emphasis of doing something, which I think a lot of us, we would rather just sit here and just be like, I'm worshiping. But the, it, you lose something, I think, with, with that word. But this word means is to um, subjugate oneself underneath. It's what the Levites would do. The Levites were servants of all the people of Israel. So they sort of went into, they consecrated themselves to, to serve the Lord and to serve people. Uh, it's the word that we use for our worship service. 
And I, and I think what's what the hard part about that, when you hear the word worship service, and I, and I don't know if this is you, but for a lot of people, what it means is the worship service is where I go to be served. I go, I sit down, and they dole out religious goods and services. And so I feel better about myself. I feel like really close to God because uh, the, the staff, the elders, the deacons, uh, the worship team, the pastor, they serve me by singing and performing for me. And uh, the pastor did a little dance and he shared God's word with me and I feel better about me. And I think there, for a lot of us, when we hear serve, that's what we think it means. But that's not it. What you, and what we're going to discuss what really when you, what your worship service is all about. But rather this is, now therefore fear the Lord. That's engage your heart in reverent awe of God. And worship Him. And serve Him. That's a, there's a doing aspect. In sincerity and faithfulness. The, engage your heart in faith. All right, so there is the head, heart, and hands aspect, which is where I originally was going to go when I was talking about this. But there is this thing of stepping into, willingly, saying, God, you are in complete control. I am your servant. I am here to worship, bow down before you, to sing your songs, to emulate you in everything that I say and do. In the almost a sense of devotion that I might find at a cultic temple, and in an even greater influence, as I might find from a teen idol. But rather, it, you would dominate the core of my being. All right, so, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him necessarily. Put away the gods that your fathers served. Okay, same, same word. Beyond the river, and that river would be the Jordan River, you know, the one that they stopped up so they could cross. So there, there are those that, who had, they had, to defeat those in the wilderness that tried to stop them. And then those back in Egypt, the gods of Egypt. So your ancestors, your cultural, um, you might have had Christianity passed down to you, but you're relying on your parents' faith and it never became your own. Or your parents said something about God and they have an antiquated view of God and humanity that doesn't gel with the God of the Bible, not with contemporary culture. But watch. So, Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Same word, same word to subjugate yourself before the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, to subject, subject, subject yourself to God. And I love the fact that he puts evil in your eyes. Now, that, if, if there's one thing you do, it's highlight that, uh, write that down. This is going to come back later uh, in our talk. But really what this means is, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if in your mind, in your decision, you're like, mm, the Lord, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He is evil. And listen, there's an entire culture bent on saying that the ways of God, subjugating yourself to the Lord above all things, and having saying that there is right and there is wrong. That, that there's a real movement in our culture to say that is evil. And I would say that what it does, it's picking up on our pride. And so what Joseph or rather what Joshua challenges the God's people said, put aside your pride. Now, this gets us to our moment of truth here. When I was um uh, get it, when I first was getting married and I was dating Adrian, um, I had written some books, okay? And so we're, this is like show and tell time. 
All right, show and tell. So I wrote this book uh, before I met Adrian, and uh, when she met me, she just thought I was, I think she said, she said I wore pleated pants and didn't know how to dress myself. And a lot has changed since then, but I had written a book, and she was sort of thought that was cool. Okay, fair enough. And so what happened is um, uh, we got married, and I thought part of the reason that we got married is that she would be excited about the fact that she had married a Christian author. And my books were in Barnes & Noble, for crying out loud. I did book signings. People lined up to read this. Now, I was writing, when we, we got married, and I was, I was writing another uh, book, and I was like, Adrian, Adrian, come here, come here. Come on, I'll let you in on what I'm about to put out. And I started writing, and she's like, what do you want, what, what specifically do you want me to read? I was like, no, no, you could just sit here and watch the literary genius come out on the screen. And she looks at me like, are you serious? Like, are you, are you kidding right now, or are you serious? No, 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 I'm serious, this is about, like, remember how awesome you thought I was before we got married? And now here I am, this is all you ever dreamed of. You could sit here and watch the glory flow onto the screen. And because, you know, uh, she worked, you know, ridiculous hours uh, as a high school teacher. And I may have or may not have invalidated that a couple times. Uh, and she'd get up at like, oh, dark 30 to go start really early. And she would get home to like four or five. And so my day started around 10 when I make it to the coffee shop. And, you know, I'd meet somebody and we'd hang out. And then my really day got started around 8 p.m.-ish and I'd be doing some ministry with some people, and then my writing, my genius, would come out about 11 p.m. to about 1. You know, that's kind of, that's like a writer's life, and I was like a speaker person, so I'm writing and speaking, and so when she wasn't like totally obsessed with that, I was just so confused, because what had happened to me might be what's happening to you in your marriage or just your life, is that I thought everybody was an accessory to my stardom. Like, I am here. Like, everybody should get on board with how awesome I am. And that maybe it wasn't quite that extreme, but it was the sense of, um, you, Adrian, I appreciate that what you bring to the table, but what you bring to the table is really to accentuate me. And I think this happens in marriages, but I think more importantly, it happens in our lives, that we hold up this story over this story. And we want this story to shine when God designed us for this story. In fact, um, last, last night, the reason why that even thought came up is I go, hey, Adrian, I, you know, I need a, something like I, I've, when I've been dealing with my pride or something. You know, I, I just need to over, how, you know, we all need to overcome that. And I go, can you help me with an with illustration? She goes, yeah, I'd love to. And then she went back to scrolling on her phone. I don't know if anybody's ever had that experience uh, that you're talking to your spouse and then all of a sudden they're, they're like sucked into the vortex of their phone. And I could feel my heart going, and I was like, Oh, thank you. You just gave it to me. I felt like I should be the center. I should be the most important. And now you've just sort of shared, and that's sort of been the, the idea of my marriage, that I, and really my life, that I am at the center and everybody needs to get on board with me. In fact, in fact, this is where you may have thought that this service that you're watching or you're experiencing at, at the open field or when we start meeting uh, together here October 25th uh, in person, that that it's the story's about you, that I'm preaching a sermon to you. In fact, that I, the whole, my whole week has been preparing the, the message that God has for you and how it's going to accentuate your life because it's about your story, not his. And my hope and my cry 
is that we would lay aside the pride that is in my life, in your life, and we wrap our and we'd see we were supporting cast to the main star of the main story that this this book is all about Jesus. Our need for Jesus, the way he came for us, he initiated with us, he loved us when we were unworthy to be loved, and then he died for us, rose from the dead, and our whole lives are now spent on mission serving him. But it takes laying down one story to pick up his story. And that's all about what pride does. Okay, so you get that. Now, back to verse, or Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, your fathers served in the region beyond the river, that's beyond the Jordan River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So, in other words, Joshua challenged God's people to put the culture's gods aside. And that's hard. That's so hard. And what's so funny is I think what happens is that the culture's gods infuse us without us even knowing it. Now, it's partly because we're stuck in our phones, um, but that's not even that. I, I don't Listen, I'm not a technology is evil person. I, I'm not that guy. It can distract us. Um, and it, it, when it's not used to be a blessing, it can be used as a tool of darkness. But, well, how about this? Let, let's go back to, um, remember, I was going to be Michael Jordan, right? And I had my Larry Bird quote. Uh, and I, like, I would go and play a basketball game, all right? So in, in high school, I'd play a basketball game. And then I'd go back to my house, and I would just shoot free throws. I'd be shooting free throws, shooting free throws. And the reason I'd be shooting free throws is because I had this quote of Larry Bird in my head. I still wonder if somebody somewhere was practicing more than me. And so I was like, I have got to practice more than anybody else, and that is what's going to make me better than anybody else. And you know what's really sad? It's like, <laughs> I kind of took that attitude to not just sports, but the academics. So, um, okay. So I was like, please, st if you, if any, please don't judge me. In fact, could you, if I could have some in the chat comments to promise me you're not judging me, that would really help my soul move forward here because I'm about to reveal some vulnerable stuff here. All right. So remember, in high school, my goal was to be in uh, the top 10 academically. Like I wanted to be the best. And so what that meant was, uh, and I knew I was the smartest kid in the school. I just knew I could outwork people. So what I would do is I would go to the parties and I'd try and you know, make sure that everybody else was getting, please don't judge me. Uh, they would be getting as drunk as possible while I'd be like sober, right? Because I would never touch it because I was like, I need every advantage I could. And then when it came to really hard tests or really tough papers, I'd say like, listen, hey, let's not study for this thing. It's going to be such a piece of cake. No need. To which everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. In fact, we should go to like several parties this weekend. So I'd go to the party. I'd show up. I'd be like, yeah, woohoo, woohoo. And then I'd leave, right? I'd show up and blow up and then blow out. And then I would go home and I'd study all night, all night long, all night long, all night long. And then the day the test would come and everyone else hadn't prepared. And I, I would blow the curve for everybody. Are you? Stop hating me. I can feel it. All right. So this translates uh, to my next show and tell thing, because now you're going to be like, why are you, you are such a dark, yes, I am, okay, jeez. So listen, next show and tell, uh, my uh, son has got, uh, he, he loves 
football. Loves football. And he, we also just found a uh, basketball hoop on the street that somebody didn't want anymore. And I was really excited about that. And so we've been playing football and basketball. And the basketball hoop is like seven feet tall. So I am now living my dream of being Michael Jordan and dunking all over him and letting him know of my dominance on the court. Now, granted, at four foot tall, he can't really compare. But it doesn't matter. I am winning. Okay. So what happened is with my sweet wife, uh, she overheard a conversation that I had with my son because he goes, he asked me the question that I had when I was seven years old. He held the football. He's like, Dad, do you think I could play in the NFL? I'm like, well, I've got good news and bad news for you. You've got a lot of heart. You've got a lot of desire. You've got some talent, but you're stuck with my genes. And in general, things aren't looking good for you past a 5'9 frame. That's the bad news. The good news is Drew Brees is like 5'9 and change, and he's won a Super Bowl. And I think he went to high school in Austin. So you are, you are set for like success if you just hang in there. And then I said, and then he's like, well, what about basketball? I said, Phew. same thing. But then I went back to my Larry Bird quote. I said, listen, here's all you need to do. You got to remember that there's other kids out there. They're going to be wanting to take you down. You got to go destroy them. And the way that you destroy them is you practice more. In fact, there's somebody right now. They're practicing right now. And so, uh, and, I, and he was like, okay, all right, all right. And I said, go off for another pass. Again, again, again. To which some of you are like, you are an awful father. And I'm like, but I was pumped, motivated. He was loving it. And I said, hey, Austin, we, you can't be hungry. We got to go practice some more. I was like, dad, I kind of want, oh, fine. So we come inside, we're eating lunch. And Adrian's like, um, can I talk to you? I'm like, you, and she obviously is going to tell me what an amazing parent I am, instilling work ethic into my son. And she's like, what is that? Like, what, what's what? It's like, um, what you just did there. That was like inconsistent with everything else that you are. Like you talk about love, Jesus, you know, serving people. And what I just heard was you need to destroy the competition. You got to be better than all the other people. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's just like, you know, you got to, you just got to, if you want to play, you want, you've got to be better than the next guy. The next guy is going to be practicing. So therefore you need to practice. Why don't you just say, do your best? I'm like, well, it's not quite as motivating as destroying somebody. And she's like, so seems like to me, the 13 year old kid that was like obsessed with Michael Jordan and making the team and being approved somehow slipped into this 43 year old body and who's supposed to be a pastor of a church and leading people spiritually. And that's why I got married right there. Um, because there, that is in me, right? And all of a sudden, the culture had seeped into me. And I had to go out and say, Austin, listen, Daddy uh, bought into a lie of the culture that if I, um, that it's all about winning, that it's about me. And uh, there is this tendency for me to believe that. And every now and then, Daddy gets to a place where I want to make sure you're destroying every other second grader out there. And that's wrong. And I'm sorry. Because I want you to be who God has made you to be. And there's a tendency in me to sort of live vicariously through you. And I'm so sorry right off the bat. That's never been my heart. Do you know I love you? And do you know I'm proud of you? Will you forgive me? And I think that's the sort of language of the humility that I sort of, oh, it's not about winning. It's not about being seen as perfect. It's about this thing of constantly when you're, 
actions are confronted by God's word and his love and his presence? Do you humbly subject yourself to his authority or do I balk against that and say, no, no, the culture says to win. And I'm American, I'm a winner. I win at all costs. I sacrifice what I need to sacrifice. I think that's where we struggle. Because we forget it's not about winning. It's about serving the king. It's not about my glory on a court or on a field. It's not my glory on Amazon, buy my book please. But rather it is measuring up our lives to his story and our hearts for his glory. And so all these other things simply fade away into oblivion because they don't matter. Last verse, or, or last part of this, check it out. Joshua looks at everybody and says, but as for me and my house, we will serve, we will worship, we will voluntarily put ourselves under the Lord. You choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua challenged them. They challenged God's people to worship God alone. And I think this is the part where I feel like, well, what does that look like? How do I worship God alone? Well, what, what Joshua did was, I don't know if you guys knew this, he was like the assistant to Moses. So when Moses was rolling out the first five books of the Bible, uh, his trusty assistant, Joshua, was the one that was writing it down. So God tells him, don't let this book of the law, this is the very beginning of Joshua 1, don't let this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Meditate on it day and night. Careful to do. Put your, your head has got to be focused on it. Your hands got to be careful to do it. And then he says, look, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Here's the right feeling. When, and this is so true. When you get anxious, when you feel like the weight of the world, when you get stressed out, when you get afraid, when all that stuff is coming at you in this day, it's so true. You remember God's word. You remember you're careful to do it. And then you're strong and courageous. And instead of being anxious, you say, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to put my full faith in you because your word and your heart has always been for me. And I love you, God, for that. Now, this is like what he commanded all of uh, Israel to do. And do you, how do you think they did? I think that's the question that you got to ask yourself. How did God's people respond? Uh, and they did. They, they said, listen, we will worship. We love you, Jesus. Yes, we do. Okay, it wasn't Jesus back then. We love you, God. Yes, we do. We will do whatever. You, how could we forget? You parted the Red Sea. You provided for us in the wilderness. You did it all, God. We will never depart. <laughs> and I love Joshua 24, verse 19. If there's like a coffee cup verse that probably all of us need to have, it's this one. Look at this. He goes, nah. You're not going to do it. You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. You are going to fail. And at that point, they're like, no, 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 we promise we won't fail. We are going to do all that God has commanded us. We will serve him. We will worship him. And they do for a chapter. 
Judges chapter 1, they serve God. And then Judges 1 ends with, and Joshua died, and all the people who knew Joshua, they died, and a new generation came up who did not know the Lord. And then within 12 verses of chapter 2, bam. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who they had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. Remember, don't go after the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. And they're like, oh, never. Takes a whole chapter for them to get over the God of the universe and get sucked into the culture. And then, um, What's even crazier is the whole theme verse. You know, the, if you have like a theme verse for Judges, the book that uh, is after Joshua, it's this. There's two verses that repeat itself throughout the, the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Remember, remember what Joshua asked them? Hey, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day. And they did. And they said, yep, it's evil. And the, the thing that's so sad is this was a theocracy where God was supposed to be king. So they had no ruler. There was, it was like self-governance. And like people were just to simply say that God is king. And that's what would unite all the tribes. But eventually, pride took over. And they lived like there was no king. And they did evil stuff. Darker than the pagan culture that they were living in. I mean, it was awful. And Judges was like a a real low time for the people of Israel. And the question you got to ask yourself is why? Why did they fail after they promised, and they promised their kids would promise, everybody promised. And I think that the truth is it's something about the inside of our hearts that's broken. It's the very reason that I start reverting back to my 13-year-old self, even though I'm a 43-year-old man with children and a pastor. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And here's what we say. Follow your heart. Follow that's desperately sick. Follow it right to the grave. Just do whatever your heart feels. Don't follow your heart. Feed your heart. Feed your heart with God's truth, God's love, and God's grace. What about, and you're like, well, Chris, that's before the Holy Spirit really indwelt people, that the heart was like that. No, no, it's always like that, even after you receive Jesus. Here's Paul, guy that wrote just about half the New Testament. And after he became a Christian, he said this, for I don't understand what I do. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. What's wrong with me? Paul, like Paul, like people you know, ran after him for, for him to dispose of snotty tissues so that might heal him. I mean, this is like, I want to be around Paul. Paul, the guy that gets stoned to death, he gets up, he's like, nah, just spent some time in heaven. Hey, let's go back to the party inside the city of Lystra. Paul, the guy's shipwrecked. The Paul, the guy that, he's like, I got to go to Rome. I'm going to go get, per, I'm going to get persecuted and, and uh, martyred by Nero. I'm up for that. Paul, that guy. Paul, the guy that plants more churches than anybody of his time. He says this, wretched man that I am, I just can't stop my heart. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then, oh yeah, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I love that. In other words, you can't do it. God calls you to be perfect. Be holy as I am holy, Jesus said. 
but you can't do it. If Paul, the guy who had his head, he knew more about God than anybody. He had a heart for God. He was zealous. He was, even when he wasn't um, following Jesus, had a heart to do whatever it took, even that murdering or putting in jail people that were innocent because he wanted to do what's right. He was zealous and he put his hand to the plow and he didn't look back, but he still struggled with this thing of having to intentionally put his heart to worship the king. And so that's why you come to service. Watch this. Service, worship service, is where you voluntarily put yourself under the teaching of God's word. That's where you, you put yourself under and have sung over you and that you join in the song of the, the right feelings of our heart that direct our worship towards God saying, you are God, look what you've done, you are great and I'm here to serve. That's what a worship service does and that pleases God. And then we take that beyond a, an hour on Sunday morning and we take it throughout our week. And then uh, when you discipline your child in love and not in anger, when you uh, serve people at work and you pray through work situation, you invite God into work as opposed to keep him on the outside because he doesn't know how sales works in the 21st century. When you commit God's word to memory so that your heart and your mind are ones that you would do the things that God calls us to, and you repent, and you confess, and repent, and confess, repent, over and over again, constantly subjecting yourself to worship him, and not fearing what people think of you, because you're no longer afraid, because grace has overwhelmed you, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and we sing the song. My hope is that you would recognize God's design in creation when you go outside and see the stars. And you see it, recognize it in your spouse and the beauty of your spouse and your children and the people that God has brought in to be your family. And that is where we worship. And it's all about that identity far more than anything so, um, this morning I have a question for you. Who receives your worship? You're worshiping somebody. And it might be the culture, because you're just going to do whatever the culture says is right, and uh, whether, whatever your political party uh, says that you should post, you're going to post that. Uh, or you are going to uh, do whatever feeds you. Your, your worship really is a roundabout way back to you so that everyone else gets to play supporting cast roles to your great story as you're the star. Who are you worshiping? Everybody worships someone. And my hope and prayer for you is to be the king. And this is what's so powerful. You see, Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. And the point of this was that the disciples would recognize a physical way of tangibly remember what Jesus was or is. Is that he, my soul is def designed to feed on Jesus like my stomach is meant to feed on this bread. And so he gave it to disciples. They, they took and they ate it. And that same night he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And they remember that when he died on the cross, his blood was shed to redeem them, to pay for them, to earn their salvation so that we would never have to earn it ourselves. And so before we go into this time of prayer, I want you to ask the question, who it is that you're worshiping? And if your worship has drifted to someone or to something else, we're going to take some time to pray and ask God uh, to forgive us and to heal us from that. And if you're not a Christian, my hope is that in this time you'd reflect and go, do I have a relationship with God? Who am I worshiping? Am I worshiping the God who is, who loved us so much that he incarnationally became a man, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and I'll accept that he is sending his Holy Spirit to change me. And all your responsibility, and that is just to ask and to yield to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So that's my hope for you if you're not a Christian today. And if you are a Christian, and before you take communion, would you do business with God and just really ask the question of who are you worshiping? And if it's not Jesus, if somehow the culture slipped in and, or if it somehow slipped in or how somehow your pride got in the way and you get angry and frustrated when people don't become accessories to your great story. You repent and you become supporting cast to his story. Let's pray. God, um, we love you and we need you. We're asking that you can do even more than we ever hoped for or ask. And Jesus, I'm praying that this morning we confess um, the darkness of our heart and we repent and we change. Jesus, we need to change. Lord, help us to see you for who you are, the great king. And never get us to a place where we're looking to do what's right in our own eyes and there was no king for us. And God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient and we would feel the overwhelming freedom from condemnation as we recognize the depth of our sin. So God, uh, as we take communion this morning, God, I pray that somebody for the first time would take communion, maybe for the first time, uh, because they acknowledge for the first time that you are Lord. And they believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross from the, and rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, fill them with your power. And God, I pray that for us that know you, we cling to you, we hold on to you, we cry out to you, saying, you are God. Jesus, do a work in us. As we take the next 30 seconds to confess our sins before you and repent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.